Hello and welcome back once again to the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. This is episode 75. John and Wendy talk to Diane Finnig. I'm your host, John. And I'm Wendy. How are you doing, John? Wendy, I'm great. You know, I, the last time we were recording, I think, was with Miss Val, and I had bronchitis post Vegas, <laughs> and, and I know I was not. You, you'll hear. I'm sure people will be listening. Like John, what is up with John? Right. I was sick. I'm not sick anymore. It took a little longer to recover than I hoped. Anyhow, we're here, and we're we're really excited. We did want to talk briefly. This show's coming out right at the beginning of August, and many of you are aware we're going to be attending HR Florida. We'll be yep. part of their social media team, which we're really excited about. Probably have at least two or three even podcasts coming out about the event. Maybe they're out about the same time. We wanted to remind folks that we are going to have the 5K team for the Sunday evening event. That group, that uh, the money that we're raising will go to suicide prevention group and something that Wendy and I had talked about. We wanted to be able to give something back, not only to the greater community, but to HR Florida for being so great and having us take part as this part of the social team. Throwing it out there again, we'll have a link in the show notes, but if you are so inclined, we would appreciate any donations at all. Moral support, if you're going to be at the event and want to walk with us, we are still looking for teammates as well. The more the merrier. And I'm working on shirts. You never know. You <laughs> might you might get something for being part of the gang. Never know. We'll have fun. It'll be a lot of fun, even though we're walking in the middle of or the end of August in Orlando. So it'll be nice and warm. It, it'll be warm. It's for a great cause. It's going it to be the kickoff to a great, a great week. And we're really looking forward to it. Most really definitely. looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, enough HR Florida talk. Excellent guest tonight. We had a chance to meet finally in Vegas and just had a tremendous conversations. And when we started talking to folks about the next kind of recording round, Diane was one of the first people I reached out to. I'm going to stop gushing. I'll let you make the introduction and we will get started. So excited to welcome Diane to the show tonight. She is a passionate architect at the intersection of opportunities and talent. Career started in higher edge with more than 25 years of career development and management experiences. A switch to executive search in 2009, joining the Human Capital Group, incorporating her network with her keen sense of talent. This is a boutique firm where we make a difference in your business by doing things differently in ours. She is true to her people development roots. She continues to serve a number of affiliations in leadership and workshop facilitation, along with favored individual career coaching. This summer's Leadership Institute will include crafting your career story, the art of inquiry, leadership and followership, and got gratitude. Diane, welcome to the show tonight. And our first question is, what's in your glass? My corksicle is filled with ice and water. <laughs> a good choice in this weather. I'm pleading my ignorance. Did you say corksicle? My corksicle has ice and water. Yes. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's a good thing to have right now. It is brutally warm in most of the country, and we're all trying to stay hydrated because it's exactly it's easy to do. Diane, as I mentioned, you know, we had a chance to actually meet finally in Vegas, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that experience here in a few minutes. I kind of know what you're up to now and when you read your bio, but how exactly did you get your start in human resources? So as an undergrad with a psychology undergraduate degree, I immediately went to graduate school because I loved the folks that worked in student affairs at Marquette, where I went to school. And my first internship in graduate school was in career services. And I've been true to this kind of helping people find their way from the undergraduate work. Then I did graduate level work with MBA programs. And now I'm doing executive search. 
it's one of those crazy things where I got into it and said, I want to help people figure out where they're going to go and what they're going to do. That's how I got started. And I'm still true to it, just working with some different people now. That's fascinating. I love how you've been able to kind of keep that going and growing at the same time as you've kind of evolved your career, moving up that ladder in a different way. Kind of cool. So spending much of your career in and around higher education, what changes have you seen in students' approaches to job search? And what recommendations would you give to recruiters and HR professionals to be more effective in making connections with them? I think the thing with recruiting, and it just was another shot in the arm at, in Vegas, learning and really keeping your eye on how important that is to start a relationship well. This, so many sessions, you know, talk to people about standing backs and looking at how they're actually recruiting the next wave of their hires. And it might not be just one age set. It's really how do you recruit everyone across an enterprise? I think that the important thing is, again, thinking about that beginning of the relationship. It's like dating. You got to go in there and say, is this a good fit and match for me? Does it match my short-term and long-term goals? And as recruiters, being really honest when someone, it's not a good fit and match. And while you'd like to have that person be hired, sometimes you have to walk away and say, this isn't going to work long-term. It might work short-term, but not long. In the recruiting space, I think the, the other thing that I heard loud and clear at the meeting the, the couple of weeks ago, also how important it is to treat candidates well, because you might say no now, but you might say yes later. I don't think we, as a profession of HR, always do a good job. I try really hard and candidates always comment, I love getting feedback from you. If on a Friday, I still don't have a decision, I make sure they know not going into the weekend wondering I bet a decision's already been made. I go into a Friday saying, don't have anything yet. Hope to have something beginning of next week. I'll be back in touch. Even if it's a voicemail, it kind of eases their weekend. And I think that's important that we really think about candidates and the whole process. I think we definitely hear that. We mentioned the higher ed piece, and especially I know you're not only you know, spending time in human capital group, but I believe you're working with some students as an advisor, mm -hmm. or, you know, kind of still doing some coaching. Now. Yep. You know, when it comes to that, I'm always fascinated to hear from people that are working with students or have for, a, you know, an extended period of time, because I, I think we always talk about generationally people are different or what have you. Are you seeing or have you seen substantial change in your time around students in terms of oh, what they're doing, yes. how they're doing it? Oh, yes. Maybe we could talk a little bit more about you know, I don't know how they approach job search. I have an 18-year-old who's not going to college. He had an internship as a high school student. It led to full-time opportunity for him out at high school. That's not common, but it, that's kind of his path. It'd be kind of fun to watch his friends over the next many years as they go through school and progress in their careers. But, you know, what do you see there or how has your approach changed when it comes to working with them? Well, I mean, I just think kind of the student has changed. Um, right now, when they talk about snowplow parents, that's exactly what we get. I get a lot of parents who call and say, here's what Johnny needs. I'm like, well, first of all, I don't need you to call me. I need Johnny to call me. <laughs> uh, and, and, and that's very real. Parents, you know, are trying to do everything on behalf of their son or daughter. And that's great. But this is not going to make it work. They can't go to work for them. And this, this is very real. Parents are, you know, involved in a lot, even at the collegiate level. 
So that's been a huge aha for me. I have no children of my own. My niece and nephew know better than to call me and say, Auntie, this is what I need. I'll help them figure out how to get there. But a lot of parents are kind of demanding some of those things. So that's new. The youngest set that I'm working with, the very traditional students right now, I really like to work with them. And I'm finding they see me and my colleagues as somebody who looks like their parent by age and demographic. We look like their parent, but we give very different advice. And I said, I don't know if I so much different advice. It just sounds different coming from a different person. This set right now, the ones whose parents aren't calling us are very interested in, you know, what is it? What could this look like? But they also will tell you that they're very impatient and they better see results pretty darn quickly. And we have to say, probably won't see some of the results you're thinking in a job in the first three to four weeks. It might be three to four months or three to four years, but they, that three to four years seems like an eternity. So that's some of what I've seen. Uh, right now they're eager to find work and many of their parents have held them back and said, instead of working a part-time job, we're going to let you just go to school. What that's happened is sometimes they're getting to an internship. It's the very first time they've ever been in a work environment. That is really tough. And employers don't know how to deal with that because they're dealing with people who've never been in another work environment, slinging fast food, being a waiter or a waitress, work in the car wash. They've done none of those things because their parents have protected them from that. That's a tough one. And And some of our recruiters have said, that's really, really hard work. Are you seeing a lot of increase with internships? We've seen some push in the past when it came to internships. Are you seeing more activity there, especially knowing that it may be somebody's first quote unquote real job? There's a lot of internships. And again, living in Atlanta makes life so cool because a student can come and do an internship, really any of the terms. It doesn't have to be just a summer internship. So we are very graced because we live in a city that can support many of these work experiences. And the thing that I've seen is most students go into an internship and then have a conversation of how can I continue this work after this term is over. Employers like it because if they can get a project out of a student in a kind of in a consulting capacity, it's a great deal. And all of our students work for pay. The days of working for free are way over. And I really, you know, because people are like, I get paid, don't I? I said, absolutely. You don't want to work for anyone who won't pay you because you're going to add something. You're going to add value and ask for a project. So you've got a deliverable to talk about to a next employer. I'm really liking just seeing where the uh, internships are going to get that better feel for what a job is. But are you running into any interns who get to do like really cool projects as an intern? And then turn around and they have to get an entry-level job where they are maybe answering phones or doing more data entry. Are they seeing (laughs) it? Are you getting any pushback on, well, this isn't what I expected. I'm not. I I did this big project and now I'm answering phones. And you're, you're right. Sometimes internships really do put them on a project and it's very different than the real work that they would do as a full-time employee. And I think the biggest thing is managing expectations. Sure. And Hopefully, when they're brought on to a new organization or even that same organization, but a different division, they are savvy enough to have some conversations about, is this just a short-term thing because I'm helping 
because we've got two people out on leave right now. Is that why I'm doing this? Or is this going to be a permanent part of my job? That's not what I thought I signed up for. And how do you have a, a conversation and have it the right way? And helping students navigate some of that. I know one of the questions was about onboarding and recruiting and retention. That retention piece is important because you don't want to lose someone who's been a great intern, picks another job. You don't want, because it's with a different manager and the expectations and the responsibilities are different, probably don't want that person just to walk outside the door because you've taught them a lot. Right. So how do you manage that? Even though they were an intern, you still have to manage that onboarding and that those initial retention programs. Exactly. And I think, too, we need to be a little bit more willing to help people connect the dots and why it's important to understand. Absolutely. Why answering the phones is important. Why that's that's why that's a good place for you to start and learn and get that broad experience so that you can figure out where you want to be as you go. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think and, and the whole thing with interning is it's like helping people understand this is a great place for you to decide if you like something, but it's also good if you don't like something. Right? Yes. What a great way to walk away absolutely. gracefully. Yep. You can gracefully say, oh, my gosh, this has been a great summer. I so appreciate it. And you can exit door right, still keeping that relationship open, but knowing that that job is not yours. Yep. That's great. Flipping a little bit, Diane, what was the biggest surprise of taking part on the Sherm 19 blog squad as a first timer? Oh my gosh. I can't even, I started writing about it and I can't even finish it. <laughs> uh, I was so overwhelmed with the general. So first of all, the, the, the blog team, unbelievable to meet people in real life. There's something to this, you know, cause here we are, we knew people's work, we knew things. And then to meet them in person was crazy fun. That was a big wow. The other thing is everyone was so generous. Everyone's been so generous and been so generous with, you know, reforwarding things and retweeting things and reposting things. That is incredible. And I think many people don't get to experience that. So that was a huge wow. Then for me, the spirit of the HR profession was really on spotlight for me. And so it was fun to be there and the energy, it's just a good time to be in HR. And, I, and it just made me feel real excited about the future of how we're doing this work. I went to some sessions that I would never have gone to because I really pushed myself. That was someone's advice somewhere. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do that. Artificial intelligence has really gotten my interest. And so I've done a few of the sessions on artificial intelligence because I, I do see it helping us with some of the crazy entry-level things we don't want to do, the rote questions that we don't want to be a part of so that our conversation with someone can be very different and deeper. Loved all of that. And I've always had a hard time getting my head around this whole disrupt HR. So I went to a few sessions that that was a specialty, and I have a new respect for that word. And I have a new respect for that concept. It's not negative. It is very positive and very powerful. I always found it really negative, and I've, I've really gotten over that by some of the sessions that our colleagues present. It was a wow all over the place. It's always good to hear learning and learning and growing, and that's what it's all about. As a huge fan of the Disrupt movement, I have to say that I'm happy that you find it more positive. <laughs> I was like, wow, wow. 
I just had to get my head around that word. Why was everyone using that word disrupt? And I couldn't get over the word. And the more sessions I went to, the more excited I'm about where this is going to be, where this is going to move to. Diane, it is now time for everyone's favorite part of our show, the half hour question connection. And our first question is, who was your first professional mentor? And what was the most important thing you learned from them? Oh my gosh, hands down. The gentleman's name is Fred Barnaby. He hired me at to come to Augusta State in 1988, and I worked for him until 2002. He was one heck of a great boss. He had the most powerful way of connecting people. And I learned so much from understanding how important that connection was. He wanted me to stretch, and so he put me in stretch assignments, sent me to meetings in Atlanta when I didn't think I belonged in those meetings, and he said, own it. Go in there, own it. You are me today. Well, not exactly me, but you are me. You got to go and come back and give us a report. I learned, I think, how to be the best boss from working from an incredible man. We lost him to this world a couple years ago, but boy, the memories are strong. Diane, who's one person you've gained in your network in the last year that you think more people should know? Well, there's two people on the blog squad I'm going to give a shout out to. Melanie Peacock. What an incredible lady. I just, I like her spirit. I like her style. I've just said, you know, she's somebody people need to connect with. And at Sherm, I had some time to have one-on-one time with Mary Williams. And I love what she's doing in hospice. We used hospice two years ago with my mom. And I have such an appreciation for those folks and the work they do. And so I had a great conversation with Mary about hiring and finding the right hires for that very, very special work. Those are my two shout outs. They both were fabulous new additions. Diane, if you could go back to the start of your career, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself based on what you know now? Fall more, Mm. practice getting up, do it again. That's what I would say to myself. I don't think anybody's ever said that on here. I like that a lot. Glad you're glad you're not falling though right now. It's good. (laughs) One of my favorite sessions is got grit and teaching people how to really figure out how to really get their grit quotient up. Because we're all going to fall and you got to get good at falling well, but then also getting up and saying, I can do this. You got to do it with grace. You got to fall down with grace and you got to get up with grace. How do you enjoy giving back to the HR community, Diane? I am all about my coaching and I'm all about the. I do a lot of facilitation and leadership things. It's just near and dear to my heart. It's important that we take the time to do this. The other day at a Sherman Atlanta event, this gal came up, came up to me. She goes, Diane, do you remember meeting me? And I always hate that because I can't remember where I met people. And she sat at my table. One of the Sherm and Sherm Atlanta events when they were doing some case competitions here, the morning was HR professionals who came out to give advice to the students that were there. And so every student could come to your table or some of they had us at couches and tables and all over the place in this in this ballroom. People could come to you and ask you whatever they wanted. And it was really their 10 minutes. So they had little 10 minute timers with us and you could give them a second 10 minutes, but that was it. Then you had to move them along. And this gal said, I loved that event because I could bring my resume to six different people and get six different eyes on it. Or I could ask someone a really important question about HR because I didn't have a chance to do homework about you ahead. So we're trying to somehow resurrect some of those kind of programs for our HR community, the folks that are studying HR here in the local colleges. 
that are working with Sherm Atlanta. We're trying to do some things to kind of resurrect an event like that. What's your favorite movie? It's a Wonderful Life. How about a, your favorite musician or band? I don't know that I'd say I have a favorite. Right now, I brought Adele back out. And boy, I'm having fun with some of her older work and saying, that woman is talented. She's on, she's on my favorite list. Favorite TV show? It would be on the cooking channel. <laughs> it would probably be Ina Garten. And she just tells you how to, I have every single piece of her work. I've got all of her cookbooks and I can sit down and read those if I don't have a book to read because she's so good at storytelling and I just love her style. Don't tell Jeffrey. Whatever you do, don't tell. <laughs> That's okay. I have to tell you, when I worked in a school of business, Jeffrey was the dean oh, wow. in the school of business. He was here for a meeting. Oh. He was here for a meeting, and I said, I, I need to go and ask Jeffrey if he brought Ina with. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone goes, you are not going to do that. I said, yes, I am. Because if she's come, we've, we've, got, we've, got to, we've got to figure out how we can cook together. Yes. I, oh, my gosh. I, yeah. And he is as charming as you see him on TV. He is just the same in person, just as she is. I've seen her live twice as well. Nice. That's where we connect, Diane, because I'm also a huge fan of hers. And Jay Moore, the comedian, does a really funny imitation of her. He just does this Don't Tell Jeffrey. And it's really funny. Well, I tweeted him. I was watching one of the Barefoot Contessas in a hotel when I was traveling. And I tweeted Jay Moore and said something about Don't Tell Jeffrey. And he replied. And it was one of those, you know, Twitter famous moments, which I appreciate because he got another comedian involved and they started talking it. I love her as well. And I know one of the things we had a chance to talk about when we were together, and I want you to expound on it here in a minute. If you're not doing It's a Wonderful Life or listening to Adele, not watching Ina, what else do you like to do outside of work? I do read pretty regularly, and I really rarely watch television. And one of the reasons why is one Saturday I watched so many episodes of Ina. I said, okay, enough already. You've taken all of my day. <laughs> But I'm a, I'm a reader. I love playing. In, I love the summer. I'm, I love to play outside in my backyard and in my pool. I'm just, I like to be outside. So whatever I would do, I would have to make it outside if I was doing it. A little gardening, little flowering, all of that. Can you talk a little bit about the cooking stuff again that we talked about? I just absolutely have learned to love it. I had a grandmother who was an incredible cook. My mom was a big baker. My grandmother was the cook. My mother was the baker. We never went anywhere without my mother bringing dessert and always bringing dessert. So when Ina always says the most important part of the meal is dessert, I laugh because my mother thought the same. I played at a cooking store not far from my home, and they have since closed this because they're doing it all online. But they had a test kitchen in the back. I got to teach classes on, you know, cooking and, you know, putting together a dinner party, and I would do teen kids camp things and all kinds of lots of fun things playing in the kitchen. And so when I started with this idea of I'm going to tweet things, I did fans of Fennig because that's what group that came and took every one of my class called themselves. And I'm like, that's going to be my Twitter handle. <laughs> so that's why it's fans of Fennig because they would follow every time I took the class, these six couples would be in my class. I love that story. That's, that's so awesome. So that, that's how, that's the how I had to get on the podcast because I'm sure it's like I told you when I saw it, I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> that's what it means. And so, and I was like, you know what? I'm like, all right, I'm going to make that my, my Twitter handle. And I said, they're going, that's really kind of silly. And they, and they all loved it. And everyone else has said, why? And so it's, it's kind of fun to tell people. Well, you own it. And that's the important part. Yeah. You know, you own it. Nobody else exactly. can use that yep. because it's, I think it's great. 
All right. Well, and finally, Diane, if you weren't in the HR profession, what do you think you'd be doing professionally? I jokingly say I'd be a professional chef, but I certainly wouldn't. If I wasn't doing this, I always thought what I was going to do is teach school. It just seems like I'm a natural educator. So if I wasn't doing this, I probably would have pursued that. But again, things happen. When I did student teaching out of college, there was not an opportunity at the location that I did my student teaching at. And I thought, you know what? I don't know that I could go. It was a private school. And I thought, I I don't know that I could do this anywhere else. And then they also came back and said, how about teaching English too? And I said, oh, no, 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 no. I want to teach psychology and current events in psychology and pop psychology. I was ready to teach those kinds of courses instead. That's what sent me off to graduate school and set me on a very different path. It's okay. We learn things. And I also moved far from home, born and raised in Milwaukee and moved to West Virginia, then Augusta, and then in Atlanta. And I've never, I've never gone back to the Midwest. 30 plus years in the South now. Well, we're glad that you took the path that you took because if you, more than likely we wouldn't be talking to you tonight. I, maybe we would met if I had stayed in teaching you know, it's one of those wonderful things but we uh, again are just incredibly appreciative of your time and coming on to, to take part uh, you mentioned before we started recording it's your first podcast excursion there may be some listeners that are out there that don't know you that now will want to get in touch what's the best way for them to reach you out there on social media LinkedIn Diane Fennig everyone always puts way too many ends in everything but I'm the only one and obviously fans of Fennig on Twitter we will have all that in the show notes. And Wendy, what about you? What's the best listeners to find you? Best way is on my blog, mydailyjourney.com. Daily is D as in dog, A-I-L-E-Y. And of course, the fourth Sunday of each month, I will be on Twitter as part of the HR Social Hour Twitter chat at 7 p.m. Eastern time. How about you, John? Easiest way to find me, hrsocialhourpodcast.podbean.com. Click on the left-hand side of the screen at the top, three little lines, drop those down, You'll see where to find me out there on social. And while you're there, if there's a show you haven't heard, you can download, you can listen straight from the site, but make sure that you share and rate and review anything you can do to help us boost the signal. We always say thank you. We will continue to say thank you. Anything you can do to help us boost that signal, we appreciate. So again, Diane, appreciate being with us. And so for the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast, I'm John. And I'm Wendy. And as always, be sure to connect, give back, and network. network. Take care, everybody. Talk to you soon.